Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Yes, there is a World Series. Yes, it's underway. Yes, Atlanta-Houston is pretty much the World Series that nobody wanted. It's the one that nobody wanted, but it's the one we got. Now, let me be clear about this. I'm not saying it's the World Series that I didn't want. I really don't care, honestly. I mean, I care. I don't care that that's the one we got. What I care about is that we get the two best teams. And these two are clearly the two best teams in baseball. Now, I know nobody wants to see Houston because, well, cheating the hell out of the game. And it sure seems like a lot of folks are stuck on this fact that Atlanta was an 88-win team in the regular season. Like, who the hell wants to see a team that was barely above 500 in the World Series? So people are hung up on these two things. One side cheats a lot, or did, and the other side is barely above 500. Thing is, just because it's not the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees doesn't mean that it's a big waste of time. Doesn't mean that it's not worth watching. Doesn't mean that it's not worth investing some of your time and watching it. Jorge Soler made that point pretty clear last night, right from the jump in game one. Pitch on the way. Hit well, deep left. That's going back. That ball is gone. One nothing Braves. And Jorge feels like busting loose. And that's how you start a World Series. Pretty much Braves radio. So first batter of that series. Third pitch of the game. Bam. That's how you start it off. Especially if you're on the road. And Atlanta was not done there. Ozzy Albies. Reached base on an infield hit. He stole second, and then this happened. 3-0 pitch. Has a green light. It hits one out towards left center field. Down for a base hit into the gap and up the alley. Rounding third, coming to the plate and scoring is Albies. He just now hit the cutoff man, and that's an RBI double for Austin Riley. 2-0 Atlanta. All right, so we've seen this before, right? Power, manufacturing runs, clutch hitting. That was the formula for the Braves in the first inning, and a pretty damn good formula. And it's what they used, in fact, to reach the World Series. And it's what they used to take the lead in the top of the first. What I'm saying is, you're supposed to be what your record says you are, but these guys are not what their record says they are. The Braves are a hell of a lot better than an 88-win team. You were reminded of that fact in the first inning. And then again in the second inning. And then again with this bomb in the third inning. 1-0 pitch. Hit in the air to deep left field. Spinning around out in left is Bradley, and that one disappears. A two-run home run for Duvall. And it's 5-0 Atlanta here at the top of the third. Into the Crawford boxes for Duvall. You said you wanted him to bust out. He sure enough just did. Duvall. The Queen's even in on that one. Duvall. Felt, I love when the Queen jumps in on baseball. It felt like it was 5 nothing before the Astros even arrived at the ballpark. And then things took a turn because the most impressive thing about Atlanta's performance last night was not Solaire's bomb or Duvall's or the fact that they jumped all over Houston's pitching. Now, the most impressive thing last night was Charlie Morton, Charles Alfred Morton IV. If I'm going full government on a pitcher who did not even make it out of the third, you know something amazing happened. And it did. 
So Morton gets into trouble in the first, works his way out. That was huge. You can't get a two-run lead before you even take the mound and then blow it immediately. So he works out of that, and that was clutch. Then again, that is who that guy is. That's what he does. This dude is clutch, one of the best clutch big game pitchers in the game. And he's tough. You don't believe me? Check this dude out. All one pitch. Round ball off of Charlie. Ricochet right to Freddie. He picks it up, steps on the bag. What a very fortunate carom off the leg of Charlie, who seems to be okay. Yeah, he was able to jog over toward first to help cover if need be. And not even looking at the dugout. Uh, I'm not faulting anybody for saying something in that moment, but one, I don't think that was a fortunate carom, and two, I don't think he seems okay. That was a laser shot off his leg. That goes down in the play-by-play as a ground out to the pitcher, but there is a huge difference between a weak dribbler back to the mound and that missile off his leg. That thing was traveling at 102 miles per hour off the bat. That's like a rock going triple digits and smashing into your leg. Imagine taking that off the leg and looking around like, what? What? Like, like if a trainer comes out to the bump, Morton, if you weren't the nicest guy ever, would be like, the hell are you doing out here? Get your ass back in the dugout and going all Bob Gibson with it. Like, I don't know about you, but if I take a rock traveling at over 100 miles per off my leg... I'm looking for a place to lie down and die. I'm looking for somebody to come out and put me down humanely. Yeah, I'd be like, ah, time to die. Not this dude. This dude takes that shot and then he jogs over to cover first, just in case he was needed. His leg redirects that ball to Freddie Freeman. They get the out and Morton just gets back up on the bump. And keeps on working. He strikes out the next batter. And then he gets the third out to end the inning. Then he goes back to the dugout. He sits down. Duval does his thing. And then Morton comes back out for the third. And he strikes out one of the best hitters in the game in Jose Altuve. But at that point, you see the pain was too much. And he had to leave the game. If you know anything about this dude. Anything about his background. His journey. His toughness. How he is as a teammate. And as a dude. You know he's in real pain if he's exiting a World Series game. I mean, obviously. Like, I'm no doctor. But I don't think you need to be to know what's going on here. You take a shot like that, and that stick, that leg, has got to be ballooning up by the second. Like, let me tell you something. I got on an airplane the other day. I flew from New York to L.A. I didn't do anything but sit in a seat for six hours And both my feet damn near exploded right through my extremely stylish David August dress shoes. My damn calves were so swollen, I thought that I was struck down by some new disease that hasn't even been named yet. And that was from sitting on my ass on an airplane. So I'm pretty sure this dude probably had a bowling ball growing out his leg. A bowling ball turning into a medicine ball by the moment. Like, remember when, this is for the old school, remember when Evander Holyfield was beating on Hasim Rahman's head and then Rahman had a head growing out of his head? Old school reference. Look that up. Anyway, Morton had to be out there in serious pain or there's no way that guy's coming out of the game. And he was. Because not long thereafter, Atlanta tweets, quote, RHP, Charlie Morton, underwent x-rays tonight 
and revealed a right fibula fracture. He will miss the remainder of the World Series. He is expected to be ready for spring training in 2022. End of tweet. Like, dude, that guy was out there on a broken leg. He struck out a guy, got a line out, struck out another guy while pitching on a shattered stick. He threw 16 pitches on a broken leg. Well, not just 16 pitches, but it was actually 10 pitches followed by a stint in the dugout, and then he came back to throw six more, including a 96-mile-per-hour heater and a dirty curve that was barely out of the 70s, and he did all of that on a broken leg. Yeah, I know. The initial x-ray between the second and the third inning did not reveal a break, and there's this notion that he didn't actually break it until that final pitch to Altuve. Oh, okay. Because that makes it so much better. Because it's so much easier and more comfortable to be pitching on a leg that was on the verge of breaking before finally snapping. Oh, okay. If your leg breaks when you finish a normal pitch, pretty safe to say it was already broken. Or pretty close to it. Or very jacked up. Again, I am no doctor, but if the leg broke on a pitch... I'm pretty certain that that line drive did most of the damage. So the guy does all this. Then he walks off the field on a broken leg. Not only that, but according to Jeff Passan, as Morton sat in the training room, friends and teammates kept coming by to check on him and tell him how sorry they were. We're so sorry about this, dude. So sorry that happened to you. And his response apparently was, no, I'm sorry. Like they're showing up to say how sorry they are that he just suffered the worst break in the world, literally. And his response is, nope, I'm the one who's sorry. I'm sorry I let you all down. The guy who fought and was grinding out there on a broken leg feels like he let his teammates down. Freddie Freeman said, quote, and if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Charlie Morton, I'm not sure what does, end quote. Yeah, but wait, there's even more. Not only did he go back out there on a broken leg, according to his catcher, he effectively was jumping on a grenade for his teammates. It's incredible that he even like thought of going out there, and I, and I bet you it was so AJ could have some more time to get ready. He sacrificed himself. <laughs> I mean, if that's how that was, it's even more mind-boggling. This guy's out there pitching through crazy pain just to get out of the inning, and then goes back out there and breaks his leg to give the bullpen more time to get warm. Pretty insane. You want to talk about a man's game? Man's game, bitch. (laughs) Charlie's got a broken leg. (laughs) Man's game. How weird is that guy? The man's game, bitch guy. I mean, anyway, that makes last night like the ultimate bittersweet moment and victory for Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, sure, they have a 1 0 lead in the series. That was huge, but they did lose Morton in the process. They still have quality starters. They still have a bullpen that is getting more and more clutch by the day. But no Morton is an enormous loss, even in a huge win. Like, that's one of the best dudes ever doing one of the most badass things ever, pitching on a broken leg, and then taking even more fire to save those around him. So they better find a way to pick him up. He'll always be a legend for being out there on a broken stick no matter what happens. But imagine it all going for naught if they can't find a way to grind out three more wins and pay this guy back with a ring. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I know these guys are different dudes. I'm just saying, like, if I get a Charlie horse when I'm on a hike, they practically need to airlift me 
from a forest ranger to get me back to my car in the parking lot. Charlie, the hell are you sorry for? Are you sorry that you didn't take another laser shot to your other leg and break that one too? Man, couldn't you just see my guy with no legs just stumping it out to the mound? My man's out there just throwing gas on pure adrenaline and balls alone. He's out there just stumping it up on adrenaline. He's out there on stumps, running it up there at 97 and apologizing. Sorry I didn't hit the block. Just couldn't get quite the same stump drive. Man, that was something else. It's game one, you see? So let me drop some numbers on you. Scary numbers. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they are 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness, and there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. So why don't we talk for a minute about Keeps? Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. And low-cost treatments starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. On top of that, discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. But here's something you got to keep in mind. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome. And get your first month free, keeps.com slash Rome. He is Solomon Thomas. Solomon, great to have you back. How are you? Jim, how you doing? Thank you so much for having me on today. It's good to have you back. Listen, you and I spoke back in March, and now, for an update, Solomon, you are on a new team in a new city. You've won a couple of straight, heading into that bye week. So how you living? How's life right now? Life has been good Good right now. You know, we're 5-2. and two. You know, we've really come together as a team. You know, unfortunately, we had some adversity the last couple of weeks, but um, we're able to pull together and, and, and just really really band together. It's been it's been a special group, you know, and uh, we've just had a, had a great time, and um, just love the team, you know, love love the city of Vegas, and we want to continue to get better and win. You know, we know how, how much potential we have, and we know what we have in front of us. We're talking to Solomon Thomas. I'm going to ask you about some of the adversity and how you guys did come together, but just defensively, if we go back to Sunday, you had that big game and a win over Philadelphia. What was the mindset of the entire defense going into that game, and what about that unit collectively, the mindset that it has? How would you describe that? Um, we knew uh, the challenge we had in front of us. We knew um, how talented and, you know, how impactful Jalen Hurts is as a, as a quarterback. So we knew we had to contain him. We knew uh, we had to put rush and cover together, and we knew we had to stop the run. And, you know, all week we we just been getting after it, you know, practicing details, listening to our coaches, um, really just pushing each other as teammates and then really expecting the best out of each other and giving that to each other. So, um, you know, going into the game, you know, really motivated and uh, wanted to get get a, get a win for our home fans. And, you know, to go into the bye week 5-2, and two, go into the bye with a win, it made, makes such a big difference so we can really – you reset, recharge during this bye week and, and head into the last nine games of the season uh, fully ready to go. We're talking to Solomon Thomas. I mentioned we spoke back in March. You know, it seems like it's a really good fit for you and for the team. Like, in terms of free agency itself, I'm curious, what was that like? What was the free agency experience like for you? And what made you feel like the Raiders were the right spot and the right team for you? 
Um, yeah, free agency was it was definitely you know a different process. You know, something I wasn't used to, but um, it was it was it was cool in its own way as well. You know, I'm I'm very blessed to have um, you know such a great agent in Tommy Conn Jr. Um, and he he took care of me and um, you know he he you know pushed me through it and taught me through it as um, as long as we went went through it and. Um, you know, I just saw the Raiders, you know, uh, Coach Marnelli, you know, he has a rich history in defensive linemen. Um, he's going to go down as one of the best defensive linemen coaches um, in the history of the league. Um, and, you know, I've heard stories about him. I've heard about the man he was, and I thought, you know, that to play for him would be an honor. And then, you know, Gus Bradley, you know, I'm, I'm familiar in the defense that he runs, um, you know, from Coach Sala. And um, I've, I've actually went through the draft process with Gus Bradley, and I got to see a little bit of who he was as well, and I wanted to play for him. And, um, you know, just, just to also get the chance to play with Max Crosby, Jonathan Hankins, um, you know, some of the, some of the talent on this team. It's, I thought it was a perfect fit, um, and, you know, it's working out. And, you know, I just, I just love being here. I love playing for this team. I love playing for, for my guys, guys beside me. Solomon Thomas joining us. Yeah, I'm smiling right now because I was going to ask you about Rod Marinelli because I haven't spoken to him in a few years, but he's one of my all-time favorites. And I've got so much respect for him and how he approaches his work. I can tell by the way you answer that question, you do as well. What has it been like working with Rod? Has it lived up to the hype and the expectations you had? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, he, he blew it out of the water. Um, you know, Coach Marinelli, you know, I've only been with him for three, three, four months, but, uh, you know, he's made a huge impact on my life as well as a game of football. Um, you know, he cares about us as men, um, more than football players. Um, and that's not a, not an exaggeration. You know, he, every Saturday we have something called man building where he teaches us about, you know, how to be a better man, um, certain examples, certain stories. Um, and that's, that's his goal in this game. You know, he, he wants us to obviously excel in football and be the best players we can be. And he gets it out of us, you know, you know, our practices are not easy. It's the same thing every day from OTAs to the end of end of the season, and you know our our individual period, our group period is a grind, and you know we're we're out there pushing each other and going full speed every time. But what he gets us as as men is a different story. You know he he makes sure that you know we are getting better. We're going to be better fathers. We're going to be better sons. We're going to be better um, um, husbands. You know he wants that out of us, and that's his main goal. And it's, it's special. And you know I'm thankful for his you know, his guidance as a, as a football coach as well as his guidance as a, as a man. Man, that is so rare. That is really, really interesting. Solomon Thomas joining us. You know, at the same time, you were coming off an ACL injury that you suffered early last year, and you're playing at a really high level. Like, how do you explain the fact that you've come back as quickly as you have and are playing at the level that you are right now? How have you managed to pull that off? Um, You know, I, I have a lot of people to thank. You know, I'm, uh, you know, one of my uh, treatment and trainer trainers, uh, Rex Butler at Telus Method in, in Orange County, as well as uh, Scott Herrera at Legacy Performance in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you know, I, I really buy into these guys and the work they do. And, you know, they pour into me, um, you know, so many hours, so much time. And, uh, you know, I spend so much time with these two guys. And um, they they really, they know what they're doing. You know, um, you know it's this different stuff called, you know, Odoa, myofascial stretching, um, you know, the true biomechanics and anatomy of the body. Um, you know, I've just put in a lot of work with them over the year. And, I've learned a lot about patience, a lot about hard work, a lot about, you know, how to approach the body the right way. And, um, you know, they've been able to get me back on the field as, as fast as I've been able to, you know. Um, you know, I, I tore my ACL in October and had surgery in October. And, you know, I was able to, you know, be a full participant in OTAs and, and everything. So, you know, I just got to credit those guys and, um, you know, just, just my support system behind me, you know, my mom, dad, my girlfriend. Um, you know, everyone who, who really just uh, just took care of me during that time because, as you know, those times aren't, aren't easy and it's a long recovery process. So, um, you know, thankful for everyone who's pushed me and, and brought me along the way because, you know, I just wanted to get back on that field more than ever. And I dedicated those last eight, nine months to just 
just the football and sacrifice a lot just to be back on this field. No doubt. Solomon Thomas joining us. You mentioned at the very top that there has been some adversity. The team went through quite a bit, in fact, the last few weeks. What was your reaction when the reports of John Gruden's emails first came out and then when he resigned? Um, you know, it was definitely, you know, very, very tough, tough, tough times, you know, as a team. Um, you know, as, as someone like you look up to, you know, a head coach is a leader and, and someone, you know, you, you respect and you hold high regards and like the person you fight behind. And, you know, so to see, to see what happened, you know, it, it, it was tough, um, you know, we, and, and to see how we found out, you know, I was on, I found out on Twitter and, you know, that was tough to see, but, um, you know, yeah, but it, it was able to bring us together as, as a team though. Like, you know, it was, we're, we're in shock. We don't know where to go next. And that's when our leaders step up, uh, Derek Carr, um, Darren Waller, um, Max Crosby, they, we all get behind those guys and they, they put, put, push us together and like, hey, you know, we're, we're three and two at the time. We're second in the AFC and we can, <clears throat> AFC West and we can, we have a lot of talent behind us and we can make a big push. So, you know, Mike Mayock came up and had a great talk in front of us. Coach Passaccia had a great talk in front of us and was like, hey, we keep pushing forward. We got this and, and we're here for each other and we keep, keep making strides because, you know, in this league, you don't get time and you don't get to replay things. So this is our one chance to do it. So we need to take full advantage of it. And that's what we're trying to do each and every day. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful for my teammates, thankful for my leaders. And, you know, I, I think there's something special and we just want to show that each week and keep getting better each week. It seems to me, tell me I'm wrong, but something like that's going to go one or two ways, right? It's either going to rip that team apart or it's going to galvanize the team because the leaders will step up and take control of the situation and guys will follow. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened in that regard, right? Definitely, yes, sir. Yeah, exactly. We that's what we said. We said, "Hey, this can go one or two ways. We can tear each other apart, or we can really build each other up." And you know, we we knew we knew just from the first five games of the season what we had, and we knew the special things we can do this season. So we're like, we're going to come together. We're going to make the most of this, and we're going to shock the world. We're talking to Solomon Thomas. I want to ask you about defensive line. You and I have talked in the past about your sister Ella as well as the work that you and your family do with defensive line. First off, what does it mean to be working with your parents and your cousin to bring hope and help to young people who struggle with mental health, something that we need to talk more and more about? Um, it means the world to me, you know, to be able to work with my parents um, and my cousin Ray, um, you know, people who are deeply impacted by you know, the loss of my sister and people who also are just so passionate about changing, you know, the world of mental health and saving young young lives and saving any lives available just just to make an impact in this world you know uh you know we care so deeply about this about mental health and we've seen you know from our own grief um and from our own like recovery process from losing ella you know how behind we are in this mental health world and how much how much work we have to do and the stigma we have to erase and you know our goal every day you know is to save life and let people know it's okay not to be okay you know it's okay to ask for help and but you're not alone in this fight, you know, that someone else is going through the same fight as you and that there's light in this, this tunnel of darkness that you're going through. And we want to help you see that light. So, you know, because the world's a better place with you and, and we love you and we just want to touch and impact as many lives as we can. So, you know, it's special doing that as a family and um, something I cherish every day. Well, man, you're coming from such a good place. And I love that notion that it's okay not to be okay. In fact, not only is it okay to ask for help, but you need to ask for help. I'm curious, in the locker room itself, are there guys that are not okay, and is the conversation becoming more comfortable? Are guys being more comfortable and confident in coming forward? Is it a dialogue that you have in the locker room now, whereas maybe in the past it would have never happened? Uh, yes, sir, Jim. It's, it's been unbelievable. You know, the change, you know, 
when I first came in the league, um, to my second year when I started speaking about mental health, my sister dying by suicide, and um, to now where you know I have teammates come up to me asking like, "Hey, where do I go if I need help?" and and stuff like that. So just to see the change in the locker room and the acceptance of mental health and the acceptance of not being okay, um, you know, we've we've made big strides in the NFL locker room and um, just just in society as well. And um, you know, it's just it's just motivating to see that you know world's getting out from whether it's me, whether it's Dak Prescott, whether it's um, Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, Liz Beige, all these people who have made impacts in the athlete world. And they're helping change change the stigma and erase that stigma because God, this, this work is hard. This work is stressful. And we're human just like anyone else. And we can go through the ups and downs of life just like anyone else. So it's important for us to understand that we need help and that help will help us not only in life, but help us, that help will help us as players and becoming our best full self as well. So, just, just having teammates reach out to me, like it, that makes my day every time that happens. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty special, Jim. That is great. You are such a good dude, Solomon. Solomon Thomas, my guest. He is the co-founder of Defensive Line. He and his family are doing amazing work. The Raiders banding together. They are 5-2. and two. They've got the bye, and then they're at the Giants on November 7th. Solomon, I do appreciate you. I appreciate the relationship, and it's always good to have you on this show, man. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jim. I always appreciate your time and having me on. It's a, it's a blessing. Thank you, man. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. All amazing and all different. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, Grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. And look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So when I say it's time, it's time for What's Your Beef? Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy and peppered. All come in four-ounce bags so you can sample different flavors and find out the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other beef jerky compares Old Trapper with your beef. Alvi and I were communicating during the break. I said, you know what, dude? I don't think I've ever eaten on camera except for the hot pepper challenge. I, I almost, I almost broke out the original on camera. Maybe next week. The reason I'm not is because we have some really good beefs. All right, it's not too late. You can still get through. One phone line is open. 1-800-636-8686. You know you can keep bringing the heat on social media. Tweet at Jim Rome. You can also tweet, or I should say email your beefs. Rome, R-O-M-E at haveatake.com. Really quickly, I don't care what it's about. I'd rather not be about toilet beefs, bathroom beef. We get a lot of that every single week. I know there's some really nasty, dirty things that go on in restrooms. I'd rather not do it. We get a lot of that. So when I say to you, you can beef about anything you want, anything except that, urinal smack, I don't know, it's almost impossible to get you off that topic, but that's what I mean. Anything at all except that. All right, let's do it. If you're new to it, this is how this goes. Hey, Rome, 
my beef is with dudes who wear visors. Unless you were the head coach of an SEC football program, you have no right in this country to be showing off your faded lettuce in the form of a visor. Get a hat and get a life. Jeff from PDX, we're off to a good start. I like the way he turns it into some kind of like national issue. You have no right in this country. Isn't that the whole point of being in this country? We have rights? Apparently not to wear a visor unless you're an SEC coach. Good job. Good start. Cody in WKY, quote, My beef is with people that share unsolicited videos on their phones. Holding that thing right in my face, all while I stare at the time in the corner, counting down until I can stop fake laughing. Stop holding me hostage and be better. Another good point. Another good point. Two for two. Jimbo. By the way, Logues has taken it upon himself to Jimbo me every day. I'm like, stop, dude. Once was somewhat amusing. Dad is good. Pops is good. Padre works. Pop. Sir. Dude, stop Jimboing me. Way too comfortable. Rogan. Jimbo, my beef is with the MLB players who hold up fingers to let their teammates know how many outs there are. You're in the major leagues, you dunce. The scoreboard shows the number of outs. The fans probably know the number of outs. Your teammates are paid millions of dollars to know the outs. Keep your fingers down, you schlags. Best. Will Dub from Erie, PA. I'll allow that. Although it is their job, right? You got to communicate. Hey, Jim, my beef is with these dudes at the gym who dry their junk in the hand dryer. Why is it any guy over 65 has decided that a towel is not a useful tool to dry their junk is beyond me? Steven in Sacktown, longtime listener, first time emailing the program. So you imagine a guy like Steven, like when you say long time, and if you're in Sacramento, I bet it's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I love that the first time after all these years that this guy finally weighs in and it's on old guys who dry their junk with hand dryers. Steve, my guy, fact of the matter is those aren't hand dryers. They're junk dryers, right? Good to see you, Steve. Nice job. Jim, my beef is with these local TV weathermen always telling us what to wear. Like, add an extra layer if you're taking the kiddos to the bus stop this morning. Or, make sure to grab that raincoat when walking the dog this evening. Dude, just give me the forecast and I'll figure out what to wear, you hack. Dominic in Erie. I'll allow that, except you're not calling our guys hacks, man. Like, Johnny Mountain's no hack. Dallas Reigns is no hack. Theodore Thunderstorm is no hack. Come on, man. Jim, my beef is with local Little League politics. I like where you're going with that. I've lived that. Local Little League politics and daddy ball pushing good players and coaches away just so their sons can be the starting shortstop and hit leadoff while going 0 for 4 with 4Ks and 7 errors every game. 
I've lived that life. I've seen that. Dude, it's... I'm kind of hung up on this. Old guys drying their junk with the dryers. It it really is a thing, right? It's kind of a phenomenon. It's kind of like an epidemic. Hey, Jim. My beef is with... We're pregnant. Guy. When speaking of his wife expecting a child... Take a human physiology class. She's pregnant, you bag. Mike in Cape Canaveral. I don't know, like that whole we're pregnant thing. Is that that male weight gain thing you're talking about? Or is that just I'm all in and sharing the experience thing? Anyway, Mike's not having it. John Chestnut, quote, my beef is with my wife. I always like the way that starts. My beef is with my wife. When we watch a movie together for the first time, she's constantly asking me what's going on. How the hell would I know? I haven't seen it either. That's not the first time I've heard that. That's a beef that gets reset. People have an issue with that. I know that's my thing is when Dodger Jano and I watch shows, the thing that I'm really good at, I can, and I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm good at this. I can predict lines. That's how bad TV is. It's very, I mean, there is some amazing TV and there's some really super crappy TV. And I think that we watch the super crappy TV and super crappy movies because I'm really good at predicting lines. And then I want credit. And then the whole thing comes off the rails. She's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You've seen this before. I'm like, no, I'm just really good at that. And it's really trite, man. Dear Jim, my beef is with people I barely know calling out my receding hairline. Yeah, at 40, I might have less hair than you, but at least I'll be able to fit through the door. You bag. Jay-Z in Minneapolis. Like, how's that work? Hey, yo, bro. Sorry about your hair. Hey, man, do I know you? We talk junk like that? Fat ass. At least I can fit through the door. Yeah, but you'll be bald when you're 19, though. Hey, I said you can beef about anything you want, so bring it. Jim, my beef is when somebody backs up traffic, waiting for a close parking space, when they could easily park a few spaces further away. Heaven forbid you walk a few extra steps. BZ in Pensacola. Hey, Jim, I have a beef with idiots who insult other people's ages. We're not old, you pukes. It means we have outlived you so far. She signs it the incomparable Sarah T. War Lady Clones. The unequivocal pimp in the box thinks that's funny. The incomparable Sarah T. She's on one, man. Beefing with Bella, calling herself incomparable. You know what, Sarah? You are incomparable. I'll give you that. Are we good now, Sarah? Are you back? Am I back in your good graces? Incomparable one? Jimmers. Paid 150 green fee at a deluxe golf course only to be stuck behind four clones with 20 handicaps, playing from pro tees, missing every fairway. Dude, dude, I don't know what's happening. I never play this bad. Yeah, sure. Steven NoCal, there's your winner right now. It's just clean. It's tight. It's fair. It's good. It's smart. 
I like that, Steve. Sorry for you, bro, but I like that. Tachio Dubs. Jimmy Jam. My beef is with these gearheads who feel the need to make their exhaust louder than an F-16 taking off. Nobody cares that your modified Honda can be heard from space. All right, you are no longer in the clubhouse with the lead, Steve. Nobody cares that your modified Honda can be heard from space. (laughs) Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is with people that saturate themselves in perfume. The worst part about that is that it's never a pleasant smelling perfume. It's always a scent these chicks buy at a CVS. Bella B. There you go, Bella B. So the incomparable Sarah and Bella both came in and they weren't killing each other. And they both had good beefs. I like it. Good job, ladies. And Lantern 2745. This is a good segment today. Lantern 2745. Jim, my beef is with Taco Bell and that tired, ridiculous free taco for a stolen base promo. One taco does not a meal make, but one of your tacos does ruin the afternoon. Hashtag the great equalizer. Diarrhea is the great equalizer. I will allow that in Green Bay. Romy, my beef is with guys watching me dry my junk under the junk dryer. Mario and Albuquerque. Jimmy, my beef is with the coworker who hits the men's room and proceeds to moan, groan, ground, grunt, and howl while in the stall. About to go to HR. No, you're not, dude. Mike in the STL. No, you're not. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, can I have a word with the VP of HR? Yeah, so there's this dude, and he's in the other stall, and he's grunting and howling and moaning and groaning. I'd like to file a report. When I say you can beef about anything, can we just keep it out of the bathroom finally? I mean, I finally. get it. I've got my own issues with people and things, but I don't complain about it. I've got to talk to you about the most amazing product, my X chair. <laughs> my X chair is insane. I mean, it's incredible. I never actually look forward to getting to the office to sit in my office chair until I got my X chair. As an example, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking crazy technology with my X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Trust that. Go to xchairrome.com. That is the letter X chair R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. All right, can we go to the phones? 
Let's give it a shot. Rob in Temecula, you're first. Rob, what's your beef? Hey, what's up, Jim? My beef is the $2 show better at the betting window when you got 17 minutes to post at the Finger Lakes. Okay, turn around and look at all of us trying to get our pick fives and our superfectas in at post time as they're going in the gates at Del Mar and kindly step to the side so we can fire our action. I will pay you double whatever you're betting to just get out of the way. My man. Well done, Rob. That's my favorite one so far. You know why? Because he nailed it. He nailed it. He delivered that perfectly, and it's legit. We're not saying you can't bet two bucks, man. Just get down and get the hell out of the way. You're running. We're running out of time. We want to get down, too. Let's go to Keith in Seattle. Keith, what's your beef? Hey, pimp. My beef is with the idiot stranger who comes up to you in public when you're wearing your team's gear and tells you, oh, that was a brutal loss today when you decide that you're going to spend some time with your wife and you have a DVR at home and you're going to watch it later. Got you. All right. 1-800-636-8686. I don't know. Like, how, how does that dude know that you're going to get nice with the wife and that you've DVR'd the game? Like, I don't know. Let's keep moving. 1-800-636-8686. Why don't we go to Vegas? Scott in Las Vegas. Scott, what's your beef? Dude, Romy, love it. Since 97. Thanks, Vegas dude. Vegas 720. Appreciate you. My beef is with Steve, man. I'm pretty sure that was Carl and Rosemead at the Red Lobster bathroom, though. Ah! That's not a good call. No. I mean, Albie, I would have my reason, but you are the one with the hammer. Why did you run him? Fair enough. Albie's response is, dude, I, I didn't even know where he was going with that. If we don't understand it, we're just going to run it for two reasons. One, we don't understand it. And two, it may be something that we don't understand, that we should understand, that we're going to be in trouble for later on. So if we don't understand it, you're just gone. All right, let's keep moving. Don't you guys want to go to line five? Let's go to line five. And why would I say that? There is a dog on line five. And not just any dog, but Paul's dog. Hey, Paul's dog, what's your beef? I have a beef with Paul's vacuum cleaner. It's a whiny bag of hot air that just drones on and on. And it sucks. Just like Vic and NoCal. Forever I know, saying something sucks is not a take. However, if you are describing something that actually sucks, such as gravity, vacuum cleaners, and Vic and NoCal, then it's okay. Roar, Bavikwa, self-glossing as Broadway, because he's broad when he weighs a lot. Rough me, rum route. You do it. Do what the dog said. Rack him. him. This dude cracks me up, man. Oh, well, I'm going right to this guy. I, I don't even need your advice because I agree with this guy. Let's go to PA. Right to the front of the line. Jim in PA. Put the phone down. Is he there? My man, Jim, right to the front. What's up? What's your beef? I've got to be for the iPhone chargers. What about them? 
So, Romy, my kids are all about Logue's age. I've got several. But not only do my kids steal them from me, but their friends steal them from me. Romy, I've been chasing my battery for about three weeks because you know what I have left? The flat charger that sits in the kitchen. You know that takes about a week to charge your phone on. So, Romy, I'm about to open up a can on my family, uh, and my wife's in on it, too. So, iPhone chargers, Romy. 100%, dude. It's not the chargers. It's the people ripping them. I agree with you. I cannot tell you how many times I'm constantly like, Jano, Jano, that's my charger. Yeah, I know, but. And her and Jano and Logan are constantly losing chargers and AirPods and wired headphones. Yeah, I I totally know what you're saying. That's fair. That's not only fair, that's accurate. That's not only accurate, that's aggravating. Keep track of your chargers and your AirPods and your phones. Let's go to Anthony in East Tennessee. Anthony, what's your beef? Hey, Rome. My beef is with the highway patrolman that'll jump on the interstate, do like three mile an hour below the speed limit, and then dare everybody to pass them, and it backs up like crazy behind them because everybody's afraid to go around them. Although I respect our highway patrolmen, that drives me crazy. That's my beef, Rome. My man, Anthony. I, I don't want to accuse all highway patrolmen of that or having that power or that knowledge, but they know, right? They know you're not going around you. They're flexing. And by the way, that's not an easy job. I don't mess with those guys. I don't take offense to that. If I see a cop, I let him. I, I don't pass cops. Do you? I'm always shocked whenever I see somebody go by a CHP. I'm like, yo, really? I mean, like, you can see the CHP. Yo. I never do that. But I'm never late. Something else about the other two people I live with, no names mentioned, Dodger, Jano, and Rogues. Always Rogue late, man. Always late. This, this is a mother of a segment in the best way. Let's try San Jose. Alfred in San Jose. Alfred, what is your beef? Hey, Jim, my beef's with the gas station just off the five out in, out in the middle of nowhere where, where uh, that has a sign out, uh, out of order sign on the bathroom door. It's like, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Selling gas? Selling Old Trapper beef jerky, selling Hostess donuts, doing? selling Gatorade, like, selling Five Hour Energy. I, like, what am I doing here? I mean, they're still doing things, even if the bathroom is out of order. If like, you're saying, well, why I don't they for? fix it? Okay, I'm not what a plumber. What are you doing here? Matt in LA is not out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, what are we doing here? Ouch. <laughs> This is awesome. Like, every time somebody drops off, somebody picks up the line. Like, there's a lot of beef today. A lot of beef. We're not too late. We can actually do a couple of more really quickly. 1-800-636-8686. Tony in Youngstown. Tony, what is your beef? Jim, how you doing? Good, dude. You? Good. Got a huge beef, though, with the 30-year-old virgin in my office that spends half his day roaming around sniffing out a piece. I guess now I know why you guys didn't direct me to Tony. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Part of me wants to restate what he just said, and all of me knows not to. 
I got a beef with the 30-year-old virgin in the office trying to... Anyway, Tony. I mean, I get it, Tony, and I'm not saying you're wrong. You're wrong to call the show with that, but you're not wrong to feel that way. Last one. Let's go to the ABQ. Dustin in Albuquerque. Dustin, what's your beef? Hey, yeah, my beef is with uh, Steve and old men drying their junk. He's from Sacktown. I see what you did there, Dustin, and now you're done. Ah! Get it, Ollie. Sacktown. You don't like that car. I don't like that car. Right. A guy from Sacktown has an issue with people drying their junk. That's your beef. I mean, I think that the argument's fair. I think that people have a right to be a little put off by old dudes using those hand dryers for things other than drying their hands, especially if those things involve drying their junk. That's not what they were invented for. You know what they invented towels for? That. That's incredible. Every line is still lit. Sorry about that. I got to get out. That's why we do it once a week, and that's why it always works. What's your beef? Kenny Pickett is my guest. Kenny, it's great to have you on. How are you? Great, Jim. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good, Kenny. Good to talk to you. So you're coming off another big game in that win over Clemson. I've got to know, knowing how badly you wanted to win that game, what was on your mind? I mean, that was on your mind, but actually from the moment you decided to come back, what kind of emotions were you feeling before that game, knowing how badly you wanted that one in particular? Yeah, um, obviously a lot of emotions going on, but I feel like, you know, at this point in my career, um, I've learned how to really control and kind of hone in on those emotions and, and channel it towards executing what I have to execute. Um, and help leading these guys, you know, every Saturday. Dude, I love that, actually. How do you settle yourself down? It's one thing to slow yourself down or slow the game down, but how do you settle yourself down and channel and, ma- and manage those emotions? Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And, um, you know, the, the bigger the games get, um, but it was actually one thing I, I talked to the team. You know, we talked to the captains, talked to the team the night before every game. Um, and that was the one thing I said because I know, you know, the bigger these games are, guys' emotions get going. But I think if you just focus on your job, um, go over the game plan and focus in on, on doing your one of 11. Uh, I think you'll be in good shape. Kenny Pickett is joining us. Now, from the outside, it seemed like the team did not go into that game hoping to win, but rather you went into that game knowing you were going to win. Is that how it felt to you? And then how do you explain that mentality? Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely the mentality. Um, it, it just comes from you know the work you put in and, and the faith that you have in each other. Uh, you know, I know how, how talented this team is. I know the potential that we have. Um, I think everyone in that in that locker room does as well. I thought you had a great quote on the field after the game when you said, we're really going to enjoy this one. I'm going to have a cold one. Then get ready for Miami. I want to make very clear, you're 23. You can have that cold one. <laughs> I'm guessing, though, my man, that after a win like that, a cold one feels even colder. Am I right? And then what was the cold one? Yes, yeah, it, it, it tasted a little better um, than, than the usual one. But, uh, you know, I just went and had, a, had dinner with my family and friends that came out and, you know, had a Bud Light with dinner. So it was a great dinner. Yeah, it's the best dinner, right? How much does that mean to you? Like when you when you bring your family in there, when you think of the sacrifices that everybody has made and how much love is flowing and you got a cold one, what are those dinners like after a win like that? Uh, it means the world to me. It's, it's 
you know, I didn't really, we didn't really get the chance to do it like this last year due to COVID, and, and my family thought that was going to be my senior year. Um, so the fact that I was able to come back for one more and, and, and get a true senior year and really be able to enjoy and have family and friends come out, um, you know, they're memories that last a lifetime. All right, so that's actually a really key point. What was your process for making that decision? Because you could have come back or could have come out after last year. Why did you decide to come back, and what was your process for making that decision? Because it probably was not the easiest decision. No, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, you know, I was pretty set on leaving, you know, after the last game of the season, but I just did my research. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I feel like what I was projected, you know, didn't match my thought process on the, on the kind of player that I am. Um, so I wanted to come back for one more year and prove that. And, uh, you know, obviously this, ta- this team is so talented, it was, it was easy to come back. Um, and, and the goal now is to win a championship. Kenny Pickett is joining us. I knew you'd get to that point about the championship. I'm going to ask you about that. But when you come back for one more year, you've said, quote, every practice I know this is my last time. This is why I came back to have a lot of success this year with this team. All the chips are in the middle of the table. Like knowing that you have a limited amount of time, knowing that you're running out of practices, how does that influence then the way you work and what you bring to it? What kind of motivation does that give you every single day and everything you do? Oh yeah, the motivation's always there. You know, you wake up and and uh, you're excited to go to work. You're you're excited because you know this is the last shot you have at it. So you know you're all in. Everything you do, you're all in. Your preparation, your your practice habits, uh, the weight room, uh, the film sessions, every everything you're all in on because you know this is the last ride you got. So. Uh, I'm making sure I don't, you know, leave have any regrets when I'm leaving here. I like it. Kenny Pickett joining us. You mentioned winning a championship. That's not the first time I've heard you say that. I've heard you talk about that. I've heard you talk about the team standing on a stage host, hoisting a trophy. I know it's only one game, but when you beat Clemson the way you did and you know how they've dominated that conference, what's that mean in terms of the goal of winning that championship you're talking about? Yeah, I think it was just another step in the right direction. Um you know, we have five weeks left, and a really tough Miami team coming in this Saturday who just beat NC State, a ranked NC State team, um, an NC State team that also beat Clemson. So I think that, you know, the, the games just keep getting bigger. The more you win, they keep getting bigger. So, uh, you know, we got to make sure we're ready to go every week. All right, so I understand you're going to deflect, but I'm going to ask you anyway. It's not just a championship that you're in the running for. Your name is getting a lot of run also as a possible Heisman candidate. What is your reaction when you hear that? Have you allowed yourself to imagine what it might feel like to win the Heisman? Uh, imagine it. No, I feel like that's something that you can't really imagine. Um, it, it's an unbelievable award, but I'm just I'm grateful for all the you know the kind words, and I, I appreciate everything. Um, but you know, I think that when you look at all the, the championship teams, those are the teams, the guys on those teams get the awards and everything. So that's what you know the, the main uh, message to all of my teammates and our coaches have been saying. Like we, you know, we want to be the team that's hoisting that trophy. Everything else will take care of itself. Talking to Pitt football, Kenny Pickett is my guest. You know, if we were to go back, when you first arrived on campus, you were behind Max Brown and Ben DiNucci. What were the early days like for you? Uh, I feel like that's kind of where you're molded as, like a, as a person, as a player, and that's kind of where you, you know, you kind of see what you, what you got. You know, you have to go in there and compete. You come in as the fourth, fourth string guy. But when I came in, um, I just had the like the on the guy mindset. I wanted to to show that I prepared like a pro. Everything I did in practice and in film and preparation, that you know I I, I acted and, and did everything like I was the starter. So then when I became the starter, it was really just another day, just another week. I'm just out there playing. Um, so I think that was that was really what helped mold uh, you know my career. See, I was gonna say, excuse me, I ask you I ask you that question for two reasons. One, that response is really interesting to me, and secondarily, earlier this year you broke Dan Marino's record for most TD passes in a three-game stretch. What's it feel like to hear your name mentioned alongside Dan Marino's? 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. On the recruiting trips, and um, you know, my dad actually sent me a picture of me standing next to this like in our old, in our old facility. We had like a Dan Marino like kind of shrine almost, where I'm standing next to it with a picture. Um, and it's just unbelievable because you're walking in your recruiting visits and everything. That's what you see, and that's the kind of guy you're chasing um, when you decide to commit to Pitt and, and be the quarterback here. So it's an unbelievable feeling. Dude, like, what happens now? I mean, will the kids coming forward now go on the recruiting visits and see pictures of you and stand next to you and have the similar kind of feeling, do you think? And what's that feel like? Yeah, it's it, you know, it's incredibly just grateful for it all. Um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a ride. Not over yet. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to finish this thing out. Kenny Pickett is joining me for a few more moments. I want to read you a quote you said. This is a really interesting mindset you have, especially for a quarterback. Quote, I feel like there's only one way this game can be played. It's not for nice guys. It's a violent sport. It's played by alpha individuals, and I feel like as soon as I step between those lines that I'm the best player on the field. You just have to have that edge. End of quote. I don't know. Like I understand that mindset, but there aren't a lot of quarterbacks who talk about playing a violent game with that edge. Where does that mindset and that approach come from? Yeah, I think it, it comes from a young age. My dad was a linebacker. I mean, he taught me everything I know I know about the game and uh, you know in life and just how to go about your business and, and playing this game. So um, I, I love to compete, and I think that the quarterback has to be the fiercest competitor on your on your team um, in order for you to be a championship level team. So that's just something I want to bring every day. That's interesting. Do you feel like you got to be the toughest guy physically on the team as the quarterback? Uh, I think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of. Uh, small fine print that comes with the job that you know everyone wants the job and you step in there and you're taking you know a helmet under the jaw or under the chin strap you know it makes you th- some people second guess the job but uh, it's something that I embrace and, and I love it I like that what else is in the, the small fine print that comes along with playing that position that we don't know about <laughs> I don't think we have enough time in this segment um, you know it's a it's a long list of things but um, you know at the end of the day it's something that you have to embrace and, and take step by step and you have good good cast of people around you it makes it easier all right so you've got miami saturday a few years back you had that monster game against them which included three tds in a win over them when they were number two what do you remember about that game and then how much has changed for you in the program since then uh i think we're we're, we're a lot farther along as a program and, and where we're at you know at this stage compared to where we were I mean, we were four and seven heading into that game um you know didn't have a bowl game opportunity that was really our bowl game um, so I'm, I'm really proud to see the progression of where we were at that time to where we are now. Um, you know, it means a lot to be a part of a process like that and, and, and be Coach Narduzzi's quarterback for this you know, that whole time, that whole period. Um, but, you know, I'm really excited to, uh, to face Miami one last time. All right, so one last thought. So things have changed so much. Back then you were an underdog. Now you're getting a lot of run as a possible ACC champ and more. Like, how do you feel? What's the mindset? I mean, do you still have that chip on your shoulder, or do you feel like you're still hunting as opposed to being the hunted? Like, what is the mindset? Absolutely, yeah. We haven't won a championship, so the, the hunt is on for that. Um, that. That's the main. That's in our sights, and um, you can feel it around the building. Everyone knows that that's where, we're, that's where we want to be. Um, so we've got to take care of business one week at a time. All right. Pitt is 6-1 and one there, number 17 in the AP poll, and you've got another big one coming up on Saturday. Miami is at Pitt. Their quarterback, Kenny Pickett, is having a huge year. Kenny, great to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Carlos Pena is my guest. Carlos, it has been almost exactly a year since you and I spoke, which is too long. How are you doing, my friend? How is your life right now? Uh, doing well. I'm really excited watching uh, – the postseason and the World Series. Uh, I'm so happy to see Atlanta um, finally uh, crack into the World Series and getting started to uh, on the right foot. So I'm really excited to see how things pan out. 
uh, and I'm doing well, Jim. It's good to, to, to join you. Carlos Pena, my guest. It's great to have you back, Carlos. You know, the point about Atlanta getting back in and starting out quickly, why don't we talk about that for a minute? Because when the series started, you were talking about the importance of Astro starter Framber Valdez to induce weak contact. Knowing that, what went through your head when you saw Jorge Soler lead off last night with a home run? You know, that was precisely my concern. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, he, he you know, puts the ball on the ground. He's really good at, at inducing ground balls. I'm like, don't talk to me about ground balls. Talk to me about weak contact. A lot of those ground balls over there in Boston were, were hit pretty hard. Um, so that tells me that the players, the hitters, were actually timing them up really well. It's just that he had really good movement, so a lot of those baseballs were hit into the ground. But what's concerning to me is that their timing was too close to, to ideal. So uh, th- that was my concern, and sure enough, you know, he goes up there, and, and maybe the sinker was not sinking as much as he would have liked. Um, so that uh, that's why I don't like that narrative. When I hear a pitcher say, "Well, I rely on my movement," that is very volatile. I mean, you can come in one day and feel really good; you have great movement, great sink on your on your um, uh, two seamer, and then the very next day you totally lose it for whatever reason. So uh, I don't do not like uh, when pitchers rely too much on movement. I rather uh, talk about sequencing, and that's how you induce uh, weak contact with the right sequencing. And Valdez, unfortunately, did not have it yesterday. I think that's a really important distinction. Carlos Pena joining us. So when you're in a huge game like that, what's it mean to the rest of the Atlanta dugout to have your leadoff guy start things off like that? How much of a lift can that give the entire team? That is huge. I mean, when you punch first, you punch twice. Uh, um, and that's something that we talk about in the dugout. And now even if you look at the World Series numbers, whoever goes out there and wins that first game, especially after uh, 1995, the wild card, uh, we're talking about an 80-plus, you know, 80 uh, percentage um, uh, winning percentage of winning the World Series if you win game one because momentum does matter. Seven games is nothing, Jim. I mean, it really is not it, – it's, it's a very short series. And, if you're able to go out and punch first and land a jab uh, immediately out of the gate, it's it's huge uh, how momentum, you can ride that momentum the whole entire uh, way through. Carlos Pena joining us. Those numbers are pretty amazing. Now, the inning kept going when Ozzy Albies beat out that infield single, stole second, and then came around to score. Then he chased that with that great play in the field with the bases loaded in the bottom of the first. How significant was he last night? He, he is so such a difference maker. I mean, he goes out there and, and plays a game that, yeah, of course, he had 30 home runs. You could talk about him being a second baseman, uh, 30 home run power, which is remarkable, 100 RBIs. Um, so that by itself it's, it's something to, that, that makes you scratch your head. I'm like, wow, this guy can do it all. But where I know he's at his best and it's when he's doing what he was doing last night. The rest comes uh, kind of in addition to, to that game where he does every little thing, all the little things, where he's running out a ground ball. I mean, yesterday there was a, a ground ball right at Altuve, uh, and, and Altuve was playing the shift, so he's behind second base. And Altuve hesitated for a second, and Alves was safe at first. You cannot sleep on his speed. Another thing that I like is the fact that he knows how to shorten his swing. I mean, sometimes it looks like he's just playing pepper, up there and just kind of getting the ball above the infielders for singles. And yes, that defensive play you mentioned, if that ball gets through, we may be talking about a different narrative. The game would have been tied right there. 
No doubt. Carlos Pena joining us. Carlos, like, I don't want to be guilty of recency bias or to be a prisoner of the moment, but Eddie Rosario had two more hits last night. He's got a hit in every single game of the postseason. He's got 10 hits in the last four games. What do you make of the hot streak he's on? How do you get this guy out? I don't remember ever seeing a guy this hot on this big of a stage. We're talking about Alvarez or Rosario? Rosario. <laughs> because we can say the same thing about Alvarez, but let's start with Rosario. It's incredible how baseball works, you know, when you are, when your timing is on. And, and I wish I could tell you that uh, we could be, um, I mean, I wish I was more intentional about working on my timing rather than spending so much time on my mechanics. You know, if I had to go back, timing would be number one. Uh, I, I, that's what I think is going on right now with Rosario. His timing right now is pristine. It's really locked in. He is giving himself um, enough, um, in, enough space to be able to get his healthy swing at the baseball. When you do that, there's no rush and no panic. How do you get him out? We're going to go back to sequencing. You better rush him inside and elevate the fastball and pair that up with a good off-speed pitch uh, that hides behind the fastball you, you just threw. So sequencing is the key to getting him out. And then if we flip the script and go to talk about Alvarez, I don't even know why they pitch Alvarez out over the plate. Why would you throw Alvarez a fastball middle away. If, even if you look at his exit velocities out there, Jim, it's, he crushes those pitches. You have to rush him up and in and work from there. That should be your go pitch on both of these hitters that are extremely hot. Fastball, elevated fastball in the innermost and uppermost part of the strike zone, and then you work your off-speed um, uh, from that. We'll see how that ends. I hope someone's listening because yesterday they, again, pitched uh, – Alvarez away, and he hit it all the way to center field off the wall. And I'm like, does anyone learn? Do not pitch Alvarez away. And to stop pitching Rosario um, also out over the plate, you have to rush him up and in. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to accomplish that tonight. I was going to say, I hope somebody is listening. I was going to ask you about Alvarez, but you got to him first, Carlos. Well done. I want to ask you about Charlie Morton. Not that we didn't know this already, but when you see him take that shot off his leg, he stays in the game. We find out an inning later that he had broken his leg. What was your reaction to that? What are your thoughts about the way he hung in there and just kept battling and grinding? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, he is such a uh, he has this stoic demeanor, and, and nothing faces him. Um, but when you're talking about physical pain, that's when you're like, okay, that, that is insane right there. Cause he was pitching with a broken leg, uh, you know, in, in, in simple words. And, you know, until you saw him land there and run, probably wouldn't, we wouldn't have noticed, you know, when he landed and then he kind of stumbled a little bit, we're like, okay, he's hurt. Um, and you know, it got to the point where he's like, I'm just going to hurt my team. I, I can't help him right now. Um, and I thought it was incredibly uh, a, a very a special moment when you saw him almost apologize to his team. Um, he, he was saying he was sorry because he wants to be part of this fight. And uh, for him to be out of, of the, the series, uh, it's a devastating loss for the Atlanta Braves. And then I thought it was very moving when you heard Snicker talk about his uh, pitcher, Charlie Morton, and not only speak about what he brought to the table as a pitcher, but he went off about how great of a man he was. I thought that was a very um, moving moment and, uh, and and very well-deserved. You know, all those words are, are, are very well-deserved because Charlie Morton is exactly that. Uh, he's probably better off the field than he's on the field. 
Um, and, and that speaks volumes uh, about his character. It's clear, right? He is absolutely beloved in that clubhouse and even outside of it. So, Carlos, before you go, if you're in the Astros clubhouse, what would you be telling your teammates before game two? Yeah, I'm glad you actually said, what are you going to be telling your teammates? Because a lot of uh, you will hit the, you will hear this. You're like, oh, we don't need a meeting. I'm like, yes, you do. You have to address the fact that you got worked on that game one, you got dominated. The, Ash, the, 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 the Braves came out swinging. Um, they were uh, very aggressive offensively. And then they put you in a hole very early in the game. That needs to be addressed. I'm all for addressing the elephant in the room, the issue at hand. So, yes, if I'm in the Astros clubhouse, I'm saying, all right, guys, that's not the way we intended it. That's not the way we intended it. We need to get out of these home uh, games, these first two, at, at least with one win. There's no way we can go back to Atlanta with an 0-2 uh, start. That would be uh, very, very, very bad and, and, and definitely not ideal. So we need to at least split this series at home so we go to Atlanta with the series tied. And we need to do it now. Um, and have a strategy, uh, Jim. You cannot default anybody. Um, so if you're going off against Freed, you have to have a strategy as, a, as an offensive ball club to go up against Freed and have a very specifically tailored to him. You, you don't have time to default and the luxury of 500 plate appearances to kind of have the numbers even out. You have to hunt pitches if you're hitting. And that goes for both teams, for, for the Astros specifically. Freed was one of the best pitchers in the league after the All-Star game. If you go up there with the idea, I'm just going to see the ball and hit it, I just need to relax and keep my hands loose, you're going to be trouble you better be hunting uh, a certain pitch when you're up in the box and i'll be looking for that type of approach tonight from the astros hitters who are typically an outstanding offensive ball club so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch i love that really quickly over the course of the year carlos i've had so many conversations with mlb players former players people who cover the game and i've asked them to try to explain kind of what shohei otani did this year i've got to ask you having played the game as long as you did at such a high level how do you explain what you saw from him as both a hitter and a pitcher before i leave that topic altogether i really want your thoughts if you don't mind it's it's a it's an anomaly. I mean, this is something that I, I could not comprehend. Um, unfortunately, I thought the entire country got kind of used to seeing. And, and even though everyone was impressed at the beginning, um, towards the end, you're like, okay, wow, that's amazing that he's doing this. Like, no, 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 you, don't, you do not understand. <laughs> you, you, you need to understand that these, you know, these pitchers, you know, I work with Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer. I work with John Smoltz. I, I face them both. And they were extremely uh, difficult to hit. And what went into their preparation to be able to pitch at that elite level was absolutely ridiculous. It was a, a regimen of, of um, stamina, training, uh, preparation, conditioning, um, studying. That's why they're Hall of Famers, and that's why they perform at a high level. Okay, they're only pitching. They don't have to hit. And then, I'm going to tell you from my experience, for me to even be able to stay in the big leagues for as long as I played, I had to go through so many up and down, so many you know adjustments, so much preparation, so much studying and repetition and working on my craft to be able to even compete at this level. So when I put those two together, it's incomprehensible to me how someone can go out there and do both 
at the highest level in the world, in the planet of baseball, and do it at, in an elite manner, that, that's what I don't want anyone to take for granted. What we saw was unprecedented. What we saw was history in the making. And it might, might have been the best baseball performance. I'm, I'm going to say it out there. It might be a hot take. The best baseball performance ever in the history of the major leagues was what Shohei Otani was able to accomplish. I, Carlos, I, I don't know how you dispute that point. I mean, you're so right. It'd be one thing to just do both jobs at a very average level at the major league level. That would make you a legend if you were just kind of middle of the road at both. But he literally is elite at both. Oh, and he can run the bases a little bit, too. I, I agree with you. I, I think that is the most astonishing performance I've ever seen from a major leaguer. The guy had 26 bags at a time when almost nobody runs anymore. So th- there's almost nothing he can't do. MLB Network's live coverage from Houston's Minute Maid Park gets underway at 3 p.m. Eastern, so 45 minutes out. And you can watch Carlos coming up on MLB tonight at 6 p.m. Carlos, you are a good man. Great to have you back, dude. I appreciate it so much. No, thanks for having me, Jim. I can't wait until the next time. I look forward to it. So if you were checking out my Instagram feed and stories yesterday and this morning, you should be, at Jim Rome, you saw that I did make a quick run to Vegas and back yesterday. Reason for that, I went to go see our friends at WinBet. You've heard me talking WinBet up on the program. Absolutely love these guys, love their product, love their approach, love their brand. And we had some business that we had to discuss. So I shot over there for a really quick meeting, and I wanted to see their setup, and I could not have been more impressed. Could not have been more impressed with the people. Could not have been more impressed with the facility. I mean, like, you know the Wynn brand. You know Wynn Resorts. You know what I'm talking about. Their broadcast studio, though, I had not seen. It's in their hotel, man. It is sparkling, yo. I've said I've done this a long, long time. I've been in every kind of studio. This thing is dialed. It is pristine. It is a beautiful setup. And I told them straight up, anytime you need somebody to come in and hold it down for a program or a podcast, you let me know because I'm all about Vegas and this space is beautiful. Also, that was the first time I'd been to Vegas in probably, man, I don't know, four years, three years. So it's great to be back. And the win, I know this sounds like a promotional announcement, but I'm just telling you what it was like to be in Vegas and that resort. The win resort was banging on a Tuesday. Like we were going to talk in one of the lounge areas, but we couldn't even do it because it was packed. So there was definitely a ton of buzz and a ton of energy at the win and in town. Yes, I was only there for a couple of hours, but that's all I needed to know or... I only had to be there for a couple hours to feel that kind of buzz, that energy in Vegas. And one thing I want to digress to really quickly, somebody made the point about tipping because that was an issue. That was a topic we had on the show a number of weeks back that one of the websites there was complaining that Raider players were getting a reputation for not tipping. Vital Vegas. My guy said Vital Vegas. I had a driver yesterday by the name of James. My man was a good dude, James. Big James. What up, James? I said, dude, is it true? Are they not tipping? He's like, no names mentioned, but I had one of the guys in. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. But James was not, like, he would have not brought it up. James was all class. But he did not deny it. In fact, he confirmed at least one of the guys that I'm not going to sell out. So, 
I want to say that I went to Vegas and the energy was good. In fact, the last couple of days, I've been to New York and back. I've been to Vegas and back. And while I'm not saying that we are all the way back, far from it, I will say that every plane that I jumped on for those two trips was packed. LAX, packed. Here's something else that I did not know about. It's a thing, and it's happening. I don't want to say more and more because I've only taken those two trips, but I saw it on both trips. Dogs on planes. Now, I don't mean little dogs in little backpacks. I don't mean little dogs in little carrier bags that you don't even know are dogs. I'm talking about dogs. I'm talking about dogs on owner's laps. I'm talking about a dog on the floor at your feet instead of your briefcase. I'm talking about dogs on planes. And I'm not talking about service dogs. I saw that too. I'm talking about dog dogs. Pets. Not sure when that became a thing. I, I'm not even judging or complaining. I'm just saying I didn't know. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could just walk your dog onto a plane and sit the dog on your lap. How does that work? Do they do you buy a ticket? Do you buy a partial ticket? All I know is it's a thing now. At least it has been for the past week. And again, I'm not judging. I'm not cracking back. I love dogs. I'm just saying. And again, I want to make the point. Don't don't come at me with, hey, hey, Rome, service dogs. Yeah, I know. I saw that too. I get that. I'm talking about dogs as pets. Like, I guess it's like anything else, right? You just keep upping the ante. You keep raising the bar. Bringing Rover to lunch or bringing Rover to the mall or letting Rover sit on your lap when you drive your Range Rover, it was good until it wasn't. Now you got to go coast to coast with it. Hell, you know what? Maybe when I roll back to New York next week, I'm going to roll with Cody the Ragdoll Cat in tow. Actually, Cody the Ragdoll Cat freaks out anytime you put him in a car. I'm not doing that. No, I got a better idea. I think I'm going to try and board an airplane next week with one of our horses. A horse! We're not back to normal. But if the number of dogs I've seen traveling on planes is any indication, we are definitely working our way back. And again, I'm not talking about a dog purse. I'm talking about big-ass dogs. Just hanging out. You know what I need? I don't need a dog purse. I need a fancy horse bag. Maybe sling it over my shoulder. Find some quack somewhere to give me a comfort service license for Gidgetta. Be like, sir, sir, sir. One, you are first on the downgrade list. Two, there are no horses allowed on this plane. Yeah, well, this horse is my service animal. Look at my fake license. This horse calms me down. I get nervous on flights. Oh, go right ahead, sir. I did not know. Hey, 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 kid. That's not your pony. That's my service horse. She's working. You can't pet her. Good night, 